This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another special After Dark episode of the Only Friends podcast. Fuck, it's late. It feels late for you. I'm ready for bed. Oh, I still got I a need lift. a nap. Oh, I'm, so you guys. Oh, wow, look at this. Man, we look good. Yeah, a couple. Must be the software Y uh, Academy Day, huh? You guys are a couple great team members. Look at you just getting hydrated, wearing dude, the brand. Dude, I'm feeling EP. We both got a. <laughs> did you guys notice Landon's shorts today? That they're normal sized? They're like a decent. They are not normal sized. Mm, go on. They are the biggest. They, they they're look, oversized. Yeah. Like, it's exact opposite of what he usually wears. Mm -hmm. I, I was taken aback. Yeah, I don't like it. I, mm -hmm. I'm, it's laundry day. I mm. personally prefer it. You could swim in those things. You might have to because it's raining outside. <laughs> it is indeed raining. <laughs> I'm just sleepy. Uh, we are joined by another special guest, the one and only Justin Chalk, a.k.a. my pickleball partner, a.k.a. <laughs> One Maoli. Maoli. He says Maoli. Get it right. AKA, AKA Team World. Yeah, AKA Team, team World. Biceps. Team AKA too. Flex on him. He I is Team Biceps. Flex Damn. on him. Shout out to Leon and Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> Where is the flex? I'm not flexing. Landing got a flex. No, I'm not you though. You're better than me. Better. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I know. I, uh, dude, we played pickleball with Justin like two years ago. He did not look like this. No, he got yoked. Nah. Mm -hmm. Dude got nah. yoked for sure. He took Conrad's spot. Who uh, went to Drake? Randomly just got a Drake ticket. He goes, yeah. "Oh my god, I can't believe there's a podcast. I totally forgot. Uh, somebody oh. just bought me a Drake chick ticket. Oh, would you look at the time? I know. What? Like what? Like oh, boo -hoo. what is that? Just go. Just put it on the tab. Put it no, on the I tab. didn't pay for anything. No, I time. just mean uh, his Drake, his Drake ticket value. <gasps> oh, right, right. The yeah. Drake, the old Drake ticket value, if you will. Uh, DTV. We, <laughs> we have. We have a nice show lined up for you guys today. Mm -hmm. We're going to catch you up on a little bit of current events as well as some of the most common mistakes that we see whenever we host the Solve for Y Academy. Justin has been gracious enough to join us both on the podcast and uh, kind of observe a bit, get to play in the game with the Academy. Uh, so he'll be able to give you a little bit of his insight as somebody who is a relatively studied player amongst those who hope to get to his level, if you will. Relatively. Well... I think you're doing pretty good for yourself. You run those WSOP streets. We don't know that. <clears throat> well, I mean, <clears throat> what do we know? I mean, like, Guabo, something. Guabo tells me a thing or two about a thing or two. He, yeah, he, he just said, I heart DD double D's is better than me. So. Wow. No, no, no. Hold on a second. Shots <laughs> fired. Shots Listen, fired. Because I said I heart double D's is easily one of the best regs that plays 200 NL does not mean that I think he's better than you. I'm just saying I've played a lot more with him than I have with you. It's hey, Guabo, it's, it's good, very possible great to see your face again. Thanks, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you think about not, not, not WDs? No, you, no, no comment. No comment. Wow. You, you don't want to get a little bang bang in no. there, <laughs> bro. It's two. It's two hundred NL on WSOP. We're here to create enemies. Yeah, Justin yeah. and Guapo are here to make a tier list. Okay. <laughs> I need the two hundred NL tier list. Oh, I could give you that. Okay. okay. Well, let's go. <laughs> I mean, well, I'll start. You know what? Let's go tit for tat. I'll start with uh, Mr. Sushi. Okay. Because I think he's. Yeah, sushi's good. Shout out sushi? to Mr. Sushi. Mm -hmm. He, uh, one, of, <laughs> one, of, one of our Discord members. Justin just got, mm hmm. Uh huh. What about Lou? 
Oh, Lou Hefner, lose baby. Lou's an animal. Lou Hefner. <laughs> That's, he pays my bills. <laughs> oh, Whoa. bang, bang, oh, baby. Let's go. Lou's the man. Actually, the only person who's a little bit more spewy than him and is absolutely terrible, and I have no problem saying this, is Helionic. Oh, anytime. <laughs> oh, man, my boy Dyer Dyer. out here just yeah. catching strays. <laughs> Wait, that's Dyer? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he plays poker the same way he plays pickleball. <laughs> a little spastic, a little aggressive. He's like Nick Mamoni. A, a little spastic? <laughs> I mean, you know, the man likes to see three. You can't blame him. Okay. How else are you going to win if you don't at least get to the flop? Yeah. I don't know. I'm also very tilted today. Connie was trolling the absolute shit out of me. You've been you've been on one for a couple of days. No, it's just it's kind of tilting. Like I'm I'm trying to get better, and I I don't know that I screwed up a hand, but screwed up. He just starts laughing uncontrollably. Like yeah. it's the greatest thing he's ever seen. Welcome. I'm like, man, did I kick Connie's dog or something? I'm welcome like, to Conrad. He man. takes nothing in life seriously. He just incessantly trolls everyone around him twenty four seven, and then goes to Drake. And then goes to Drake. <laughs> uh, I've never felt the wrath. Literally, just... he could have just stuck around, did his intro, and no one would have known he wasn't on the pod today. But no, he selfishly went to Drake. Right. Bang, bang. <laughs> you Love really you, just had to get that one out there. <laughs> I did. No, I, I actually don't care that he <laughs> yeah, went to Drake. I know, I know, I know. Justin is uh, more than an adequate fill-in. Um, <laughs> it's raining. I don't know if you've noticed. It is raining. I'm a little worried that we're not even going to get home. Uh, judging by some of these reports that I'm seeing out here, there's that's a just, sinkhole. That's just pod to the morning. Pod till the morning. We, till the wee hours of the morning. That sinkhole no, is. Um, you, got, you guys want to join us till, till the wee a.m.? Do we no. have footage of that sinkhole? We have a picture of the sinkhole. Yeah. It's. Uh, Terrifying? Yeah, I mean, I don't know where it goes. To the, the great depths unknown. of hell. <laughs> where it goes. Yeah, I don't know. Is there a lot of water in the depths of hell? Uh, no. I don't, I don't know. Steam, probably. Oh, this is something different. Oh, Jesus. Uh, the traffic has gotten away from us. Mm, that reminds me of that, um, that gift from, um, from Pittsburgh with the dumpster going down, yeah. <laughs> going, going down the river. Why does it always got to be Pittsburgh, man? Yeah, it's always Pittsburgh. I saw Pittsburgh. a fight at, a, always, at a country oh concert. Oh, my God. That was insane. Just three girls pulling each other's hair out. Of course, it has to be in fucking Pittsburgh. Right. Like, it couldn't be anywhere else mm -hmm. in America. Whoa, where's that Jesus, at, Guapo? What is this? This, this is uh, one of the casinos. Uh, I can't quite tell which one. But that, looks like our, that looks like our control room. Yeah. It <laughs> is coming down. Man, those are some low ceilings for a casino. Low ceilings scare me. Um, I, I wonder. I wonder which one this is. I Could don't it know. be the double C? Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. I can't tell. But yeah, I mean, Vegas is leaking. It's leaking bad. It, it ain't good. It's gonna rain. <laughs> it I don't got, look good. I got cause. a flash flood warning at least six times on my phone. There was one point where during gameplay, everybody's phones Just went off. Like sirens. <laughs> Oh my god. I'm like, what the hell has happened? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Brian, please. I'm sleepy. Oh, what? now he knows no, what it's like to be yeah. on the other side of uh, it. I don't, realize how, okay. I, don't know, I don't realize how loud my voice is. I'm sorry. Listen, listen, I just had a cookie. The sugar's kicking in. <laughs> I'm back, baby. Let's go. <laughs> that makes one of us. <laughs> you had 15 bagels today. I've never seen a human being eat the way you have. You are a human dumpster. It's yeah. unbelievable. I, I still have to lift after this. Yeah. He, he just ate a bowl of tortilla chips and I and assume some guac. guac. Yeah, something. It was cereal. It was like, so we got we got Chipotle catering and they just give you like this giant container of guacamole and like whatever was left. He just took the bag of chips, dumped it in there, mixed it up, and just ate the whole I'm thing. So That's hungry. after the six bagels and the 
I'm sure you had some Chipotle. I had some. And must be nice. He's carb yeah. Must be he's nice got, to have gotten some day. Chipotle. Yeah, it went quick. Yeah, they overdo he's, it on the guac, but man, they sure underdo it on the meat. They underdo oh, it on I the meat, and they, they overdo it on the on the lettuce. Why do they have? Why do we have so much goddamn lettuce? <laughs> because it's, food. it's three Cheap. cents to give you. I know, but nobody's going to eat half. that much lettuce. Of course it's not. It's a business. That's business, baby. Yeah, I got it for twenty-five people. Thought that would be enough. Yeah, but I'm twenty people. We had a big turnout. I yeah, I always got to count. Uh, Landon is, uh, what, five, six people? Well, God forbid he goes last. You know, I did. They say I leaders eat last, Landon. I did. I told him that exact same thing. I said, uh -huh. Simon I Sinek. did. He did go last. Well, he got meat and I didn't. Nope. Since so someone went last. Well, you didn't. You went last. I got nothing. You're I got protein leader. pancakes is what I got. But that's okay. That's all you want. That's, right. anyway. that's what hey, you cook anyways. Yeah. That's right. And maybe I stopped at the gas station yesterday and got a pint of brownie ice cream. <laughs> Maybe I have two frozen cookies waiting for me in the freezer at home <laughs> to make an ice cream sundae sandwich. Maybe you do. Maybe. Maybe. I love that for you. Hi, Conrad. Got to it already, and I won't have any of these things. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It it's depends all on what time he gets back from Drake. What, what do you want to happen? Do you I want, want it to be gone. Yeah. It's Liar. Right. I secretly want it to no, be gone. No, you want it to be gone. Oh, no, my God. No, he didn't because I had ice cream yesterday. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, after he the show, he goes, dude, you ate so much ice cream. I see cookies here. We could have made ice cream sandwiches. Yeah, we could have. But instead, you chose to eat over a half a gallon of ice cream. You say we like you wanted it. Well, it's not about want at that point. It's just about practicality. Like, we all could have made ice cream sandwiches and enjoyed <laughs> ourselves. All, I enjoyed myself. We know. You're fat. Jesus. I'm not fat. You're going to be. be. <laughs> I'm not going to be fat. I've actually lost weight, surprisingly. Uh, I know. He eats like this, and he's like, it's just falling off Imagine me. how bad his metabolism was when he was, like, completely inactive. Well, now it's through the goddamn For roof. him to have gotten to, like, 300 yeah. pounds. <laughs> yeah. Because right. he's eating more now. <laughs> it's just, like, shredding. I mean, he's so much more, more now. But, but he's actually... He actually does things. Now. I do things. That's what now. I'm saying. He's yeah, active. Yeah. You know, this is proof that you should do things and you can eat whatever you want. But if you yeah, don't, if you're 24. Do, yeah. If you're in your mid mid to early 20s, and right. you can do that. But yes. No. We all know that. We all been there. We all went through that. Wait till you get the 40, big guy. Then what happened to you? And you're, I mean, if you keep eating, <laughs> listen, you think it's funny, but you keep eating like Father this. Father time comes for us you all. You eat like this when you're my age, and you you won't be. Uh, you know, hot boy yeah. summer or whatever yeah. the hell you he want to call it. Matt, Matt eats a lot and lifts weights. That's I, in good shape. You eat a lot. I do eat a fair not, amount. Not as much um, as you. Definitely not as much as you. That's that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I have that old man strength. You know, I really get after it. Mm -hmm. we're, we're out there pushing rhymes like weight. You know, like the famous Ice Cube <laughs> once said. I'm see. not like LaManna doing downward doggy all day. Mm. Trying to, downward doggy. <laughs> trying to doing get a, downward doing, doggy. Doing, doing calf dogs. <laughs> trying to get calf that calf dogs. stretch in. Why calf are they dog. called calf? calf? Dogs, Why are they called calf dogs? Because you're doing your calves while you're in downward dog. Ah, <laughs> you're, 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 not you're doing, moving rhymes like be, you're pushing. Let's weight. be clear: you're not doing anything, but your calves are being, you know. Look, Brian has sick targeted. calves. You can't. You can't. He does have sick calves. He has skinny man calves. Skinny man. Justin calves. has six ca sick calves. Justin flex for us. I have, I have no, no Dude, calves. his calves are <laughs> disgusting. I told, I told him when I saw them, I said, you have bodybuilder calves. Could you? No, 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 no. Bodybuilder calves are like Lamanna's calves. Bodybuilder calves. Bodybuilders don't do legs, bro. Yeah, but when they... do legs, man. Shut up. <laughs> he says all he does is back squat and has... Can you, could you dunk, you huh? think? You think you can dunk? I can't jump to save my life. Uh, that makes sense. You're yeah. pretty dense. Yeah, too dense. You're yeah. Pretty short. <laughs> too, too dense. <laughs> Look, the flying chalk only moves laterally. Yeah, it's lateral. That's quickness. true. Yeah. That is lateral true. Quick. Lateral agility. <laughs>
That is true. Yeah. We missed you last night, buddy. Got in a couple of good runs. Oh, I heard. Pickleball I, court. I'll, I'll bring out my feathers next time. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's been a while. Bring out your feathers? Yeah, I've got a peacock. For... You gotta let me fly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There, there were a surprising amount of uh, ladies at the pickleball court last night. You would have enjoyed yourself. Mm, <laughs> little talent, I'm just saying. A little, more little, than little talent. Mm. You know, not what, not. What to... court did you guys go to? Sunset Park Guap. If you want to get involved, can you send Guapa the address? <laughs> no, it's like why saying, is the screen I, just been stuck on Berkey this whole time? Guapa is right down the street from you guys. I didn't know if you guys went to Sunset or not. Oh, the the one down the street for me is difficult. It's only two courts, and uh, a lot of high school slash college kids occupy it. Oh, like just to go hang out? No, they play not well, but they play. All right. Uh, and there's like, you know, 24 of them at a time. So Justin thinks that like we can just show up at midnight, throw our paddles oh. down and run the court. But uh, maybe if I don't partner with you. Wow. Wow. I don't know. Flying Chalk about. needs some new skill next to him. I got very good. Team uh, World? You know. Team World V2. Mm -hmm. Landon's good. Or he I could can be. get there. He could be good. Yeah. I have to spend my time and energy. I need to spend a lot more time and energy. Are you yeah, better you, than Berkey right now? No. No, no shot. I'm, I don't have any deference in saying you're better than me, man. That's good. That's right. good. That's smart. You look, look at him. He just looks like there's no shots. Like, all right. I mean, I'm just being honest. Remember I'll tell you when, when you're better. Conrad than could beat all of us. No, I don't. <laughs> Can I, I get? And he came out the other night, and I reminded Tammy and Leo on how ridiculous it is that they ever <laughs> gave him positive reinforcement. <laughs> he just looks been. like a fool out there. Like he's nowhere near where the ball is at. Like never in position. Of course. How long would it take for me to get better than Conrad? I don't Dude, know if you I have mean, the DNA. I mean, he's pretty athletic. He can get across he's the fat. court pretty quick. Bro, pickleball does not require speed. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying it certainly doesn't like hurt what's him. It, what's it require? Coordination. It does hurt him. How do it, you figure? Because he, if he didn't have speed, he would just be in the spot that he's supposed to fucking be in. <laughs> but instead, he's just way out of position and thinks to himself, I can run. And then, you know, good players just hit him in the middle of the chest. Oh, my God. The amount of times that we're at the net or I'm at the net and he's supposed to be at the net, but isn't, and then just comes sprinting up like a madman only to jump while he's getting hit in the chest by an attack. I'm just like, when will you learn? <laughs> if you're just stationary, this doesn't happen. I learned right away. Did you? Yeah, when you almost killed me. Oh, that's right. I did teach you a very hard lesson. <laughs> we were just messing around As with the you house. should. Some oh, things man. can only be learned kinesthetically. That is true. And I taught a hard lesson to one of our students today. I won't mention any names, but he has a proclivity for playing the offsuit ace X <laughs> in situations <laughs> that he just shouldn't. So I'm watching the hand play out under the gun. One opens. He's in the hijack and I see an ace nine flat and I just walk out there and I take his hand mid hand and muck it. <laughs> it's like, put this in the muck. Yeah. He would have won the pot uh, too. Came ace high. Yep. But <laughs> No, it doesn't mm -mm. matter. You no, got to learn the hard way. That's right. These hands are useless. Tough love. It was so funny. You got to give a little tough love. So funny. Uh, we had another student who was playing seven deuce every time it was dealt to him, and I asked him why, and he goes, I'll get paid for the next two days. And I'm like, that's, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Like, yeah, they're going to watch the footage and see you had seven deuce, but you know, they're, they're not going to do this anything is different. A, this is a classic rope-a-dope. Wow. Yeah. That's just not how poker works, though. No, you can just play good and bluff. I think that that's, uh, as we kind of get into, you know, some of the, the biggest mistakes that we see from the students who walk through the door, I, I think one of them is that image is paramount over strategy. 
Right. I, I, yes. I, I really think that uh, the majority of people who walk through the door truly believe that their image and how they perceive others is the driving force in their decision-making process as well as their opponent's decision-making process. Right. Far beyond what makes any sort of logical sense. Yeah, well, it's easier to break it down that way when you look at they're aggressive or they're tight. It's easier to go to always and nevers versus mm -hmm. looking at the in-between. Right. When like you look at a certain board texture, some spots can be so much harder to bluff as is. But if you just label somebody as aggressive, you can just cope your way into bluff catching in spots <laughs> they don't have bluffs. Honestly, yeah. that might not even be the worst thing in the world. Like, I only say that because I think people just probably don't bluff enough themselves and also probably don't call enough in general. I think... I think the way that a lot of these environments end up playing out and, you know, you guys and Guapo specifically can talk a little bit more to it because you're in them. But I think generally speaking, what ultimately happens is uh, you see a lot of tightness in the average spot where people are under three betting, um, you know, under C betting, perhaps on bad boards, mm -hmm. uh, under defending um, versus C bet. You know, a lot of this stuff that leads to uh, the passing of EV back and forth. Mm -hmm. And then on the, on the outskirts uh, or, or on the fringes, so to speak, you see a lot of overdoing it. So on the fringes, like, you might just see like, way too many call downs in three bet pots. You might see like, way too many um, uh, check raise jams on, on two-tone boards, mm -hmm. right? Like, you just see these extreme examples where uh as spr gets lower people just gravitate towards the always and nevers yeah type of stuff but in the middle in the majority of the decisions like what i would refer to as kind of the weeds people just give up almost <sighs> across yeah. the board right well it's just like the in between of most people give up but some people will not give up too much well i'm not saying even give up in the sense of that they fold their hand i'm saying give up in the sense that they don't think or try they just have like this default mechanism that guides their decisions whenever it doesn't truly matter because the pot's not that big you see it all the time like a three-way pot that's single raised where yeah. there's like you know six blinds in the middle and it just checks down right or there's someone right to be had like marinelli from detox did an interview uh talking about his strategy and how he studies and he looks at every single pot that's over six big blinds yeah. Like every pot, doesn't matter how big it gets, whether it's all in or it's only six bigs, mm. he's looking at it and seeing if he made a mistake or not. Right. Where in most cases, it's like people only care about if they got stacked or stacked someone. Where it's like, how'd you, like even today uh, after the academy, uh, I was asked by a couple guys about one hand where they both kind of played it, just both of them played the opposite side. And there, it was just a very big pot where someone tried to find a bluff. Mm. Where it's like, these spots are important, but at the same time, there might have been some other spots where your decision was more murky, but you just kind of let it go over your head because you're not worried about that and you're worried about the bigger pot. Right. Yeah, I, I think the largest mistakes are often occurring in pots that are like under 20 big blinds. Yeah. And most of, of that... Give ups, check folds. Yeah, most of that is just a byproduct of not wanting to have to put a lot of energy and thought into what is declared as standard. Yeah, it's like an know? autopilot. Right, like you defend with pocket nines, it comes king high, you face C-bet, you just fold. Because that's the environment you're right. in. Right, and to me it's like, what, what's going on here? 
Right. Yeah, like there's nuance to this. Right, like these are hands that we have to fight with. If we're folding nines, we're probably folding too many backdoor draws and too many uh, hands that have high equity in general and yeah. showdown value, et cetera, et cetera, right? Most of it, the spots when you make errors are going to be indicative of your overall strategy. Right, and I think that the general overall strategy in low to mid stakes is make top pair. Right. And then be scared. It's make top pair it's and make, be scared. It's make top pair and then realize, man, I have to keep calling, but I'm not happy. Well, not even just necessarily from the defense standpoint. Like, even from the aggressive standpoint, I think it's like a, a lot of make top pair and then be a little bit afraid to bet because pocket nines just folds versus C-bet. Yeah, three street value is not very rare, or not very common in low stakes live. Right. Like, clear three street hands get broken up into two streets and two street hands go into one street a lot where you're missing a lot of value just based off of the way that ranges works or the bets to be had. And you're trying to play this weird in between of what do I think somebody else is doing when you don't even know what the baseline is. Yeah, I think that that's accurate, but I also think it's uh, kind of natural. It's a bit of a byproduct of everybody operating without an instruction manual. You know, um, mm. if nobody knows what baseline is, then the new baseline becomes whatever the action reaction is in real time. And yeah, if, the if baseline is calling nines. Yeah, if nobody's calling with worse than top pair, then it's really difficult to get three streets with top pair. You know? Yeah. But it also opens everybody up to exploiting. That means that you can now just start ramming and jamming bluffs for the first two streets. But if you make it any further than that, you're probably just against too strong of a range. Yeah, right? that's, that's a big one. That It's... One of those things I think I came to the conclusion of years ago, I remember I made like a, a thread about live poker where I thought that most of the stuff that you're going to get value from just from a red line standpoint is on the turn. Mm. And then once you get continued on, you should be pretty careful because you're generating the overfold and flop and turn that on river, it's hard to overfold when you've overfolded already. And that's right. kind of the way that the nature of uh, call it instinctual poker works when we value money so much where you don't want to play a big pot without having it. So you'd yeah. rather have not like a sunken cost, but if you're going to fold the turn to hands that you don't want to have a tough decision on the river, where if you do continue on turn, you've kind of set yourself up to call the river. It is a bit of sunken cost fallacy. A lot of people do operate from the, if I call turn, then I call river, uh, assuming the board texture doesn't change mindset. Yeah. And uh, kind of doubling down on that, I think one of the most freeing concepts that low to mid stakes players can gravitate towards is understanding that they need to carry forward a folding range on every single street. Yes. So the way that we conceptualize building a range overall, uh, we have to understand that it's not just built of two parts of calls and raises. It's also built of folds. So hands you're that, allowed to fold. Hands that call the turn, some of them have to be allocated to folding river. And it's a very reasonable concept to call the turn strictly to fold the river versus bet. And the reason being is that that hand can be the best hand on turn and still river and doesn't have yeah. to face the bet. Every best hand can potentially improve, doesn't always face river bet. Correct. Three things that happen if you just continue. Right. So now the hands that are bucketed to, I need to call one more, but then fold to river aggression yeah. will just often win if there's no river aggression. It's got to be that feedback loop of when you float and then river brick, you check, they jam, you fold. There's that internal feeling of, I could have just folded the turn and not given them more money. Correct. 
where in reality, you're not giving anybody more money. You're just playing good poker, and that results in you folding later, and that's fine. Right. What, uh, what's your kind of takeaway, Justin? What are some things that you observed in the gameplay? Well, for today... Uh, I don't know what was sounded like the other table that the I other table on. was wild. Well, it was wild, yeah. yeah. But my table in general it actually impressed me more than because I attended the MTT Academy and their fundamentals were very bad. And as tournament players tend to be, yeah. And I was gonna say in general, the biggest mistakes I see with um, the attendees are poor fundamentals, mainly pre-flop, and it compounds throughout the hand, like how you guys were going over. Yeah. Today on my table is generally I didn't see as many like nobody opened lint or they weren't flat calling like. There was a lot of hands. three betting. There was a, there was a lot, lot of three. Yeah. Well, people play you, very aggressive pre. I mean, yeah. you Conrad and Guapo were all at the same table, right, so that's right. already a third of the lineup. Yeah. So I think that had a part to do with it. Mm -hmm. You also had Greg and I'm Dustin. Too. Yeah, so you had Greg and Dustin who had both attended previously. Oh, they were, they were a previous. And oh, then okay. obviously yeah. Efo is going to be a relatively strong player as well. Yeah. So two thirds of your lineup is going to be pretty well studied. Right. Yeah. Um, I do think that. Oh, Rob also had previously it, attended. He was. It's at your funny time. because I I literally made it completely random, and yeah. that's just how it <laughs> fell. And I was just like, I was like, hmm, these tables are little like lopsided a little bit but maybe it's good well, I don't know not necessarily lopsided I think it's kind of a good thing you kind of had right. like the first timers right, yeah. who are newer and mm -hmm. going to make bigger errors at one yeah. table and then the second timers yeah. and that's what I mean I did that exactly on purpose so <laughs> it would you know be a better very experience sharp, man. very yeah. sharp man it is really interesting this academy because I mean I've been to uh, quite a few at this point people played much more aggressively at both tables pre and post most of the time, people tried to win the pot, for better or for worse. Yeah. I thought the biggest mistakes I saw at Justin's table were sizing errors, uh, mm -hmm. particularly preflop. <clears throat> there was appropriate squeezes coming through, but for too small. Oh, right, right. Um, th there were three bets that were coming through, but oftentimes for too big, right? So the, the early position versus early position, instead of giving yourself the opportunity to have a bit of a linear range, it would just come through like the, the, the 10 big blind three bet, yeah, which is a bit on the large size, but no ante. Mm -hmm. But these are all very easily corrected. I would say, and it's not to a fault, of course. It's just more so ignorance, which isn't a bad thing. It's just like lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. When it comes to sizing schemes from the intuitive standpoint, there's a lot of spots where you want to end up sizing appropriately, especially if you're in position size for three streets in some spots, if you're out position size for two. Mm -hmm. And most people will get the two street sizes in uh, three and four bit pots more correct because it feels more natural to put in bets that are like half pot plus but when you're playing four bet pots like half pot rarely comes in unless you're the out of position player on a scary board right and then you're playing these weird spr constructions where you're in position but you're finding turn jams or you're in position and you're finding almost turn jams leaving sprs a point two behind and it's like well there's probably ways to construct these bet sizes a little bit better to generate more ev i agree with that but i also think that that's like kind of cart in front of the horse uh, I, I would say that one of your your biggest blind spots being in a position to lead and teach groups like this is not being able to take yourself back to their shoes. Mm. You're, you're just like starting way too far into the study and it's often going to lose your audience. Like I walked in on commentary and you just were like dropping 2E3 and it's like we haven't even <laughs> touched sizing yet. Sure. Right? Like today was just a general <laughs> Today was just a general overview where we're talking about like broad stroke construction, how game theory functions, what the principles are, SPR position, 
uh, you know, range advantage and things of that nature. When you start to get granular and say like, oh, he went for a hat pot size here, but I would prefer a 2E size of like 110%, we're, we're, we're kind of like cutting off our nose to spite our face at that point, right? I'm, because I'm sure the majority of these students, um, well, uh, majority that haven't been to the academy at all, probably have, have never studied like geometric size. Agreed. And even, even if they had, or even if instead of saying 2E or 3E, you just use the pot percentage. Right. Uh, we, we haven't clarified the difference yet, right? So we haven't really clarified why full pot is better than half pot in this particular instance. Um, and that's not to say that we shouldn't be critical of sizings. Of course, we always need to kind of throw in, oh, by the way, this is a bigger bet spot type of thing. But like I was saying uh, in my feedback, it's better to be general early in the feedback and then specific like by the time we get to day three hmm. because the general takeaway is should i bet or should i not in this particular setting on day one right um it, it's kind of like leading a horse to water type of thing and for the most part i think that they critically uh thought their way through whether or not they should be betting in spots i think that they did a relatively good job overall of betting and i think that's always true of academy attendees i think that they come in and they find the right opportunities to bet. They just may not necessarily find the right hands. And then you get a little bit concerned that they're not checking enough, right? Uh, I think that that's like one of the bigger pitfalls that I see from new attendees who come through is that they feel like in a learning environment like this, uh, they have to play hyper aggressive and they just forget that they have a checking range. So all of a sudden every flop gets C-bet, every three bet pot gets C-bet. You know what I mean? And the only time the checks come through is like they three bet the ace five suit and it comes queen jack nine rainbow. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, this is the give up. You know, this is the one where I, I check, but it's like, okay, well, what good hands do we have here? Almost never anything. Yeah. It seems like there's definitely just more of an emotional attachment to winning pots you're invested in because it makes it seem as if uh, there's potential, I guess, maybe like there's a skill gap or it's like I want to prove that I'm good and here's how by putting in correct bet sizes and winning pots where in reality, sometimes like true understanding comes through check folds right? or block folds yeah, or uh, finding a raise with a good hand versus just raising because you feel like it. And a lot of it comes from the nuance which you learn at some point, but that's kind of par for the course for trying to make an impression early yeah well man you've been to 34 of these now <laughs> what do you think are, are some of the uh most common takeaways that that you see uh kind of like call it the average student um i think i think the main thing like the takeaways from people is they're there's something switches in their brain where it's like they've been thinking about poker a certain way for their entire life and then they come here and and see like oh here's a new way to think about something that i've never thought about i i never thought about like um you know starting with the with the range of hands and then moving forward and you know like you said like a lot of people think of like image first right before they think of actual like you know, i think that strategy. might be the number one pitfall right uh and i mm -hmm. i say that i say that pretty confidently not just because it's something that we have to combat against every mm -hmm. time that we run one of these things. But we've had a, a host of women come through. I, I think something like 20% of our academy attendees have been women. Mm -hmm. And across the board, 
with near 100% consistency, they are very sensitive to their image. And it's not always consistent in the sense that they'll say something like, oh, I feel picked on because I'm a woman or something of that vein. It can go either way, right? Like some will say, uh, I get a lot of extra folds because I'm a woman. Others will say like, I get guys who punt off to me because I'm a woman and they want to like make sure that they never lose to a woman. And I know that inherently those things are absolutely true. Right. But the, the bias that we have to fight through is that that matters, right? And that's the difficult thing to try to convey to people is that even though people may be responding to you specifically based off of a presumption mm-hmm. of image or what they presume to be true of your play style or whatever, the fastest way to capitalize is not to figure out the counter to what it is that they're doing but to figure out ways that you can just protect yourself across all boards. That way you don't have to guess because if ever they stop doing that thing, mm-hmm. you now stop making money. Right. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause people will like, they really do, you know, it's, it's well in my game, this happens yeah. or against me, this happens mm-hmm. or this, like, like the game is the game, right? right? It's it. The, the, the math is the same, no matter what game you play in, you know, like, so like, I think, for people to see it like broken down to like put all that aside, right? Here's what you're supposed to do when it comes to, you know, GTO, whatever you want to call it. Here, here's the principles that you need to, to learn. And then you start, once you can understand that foundation, that's when you can, you know, branch off and say, okay, well, this player is doing this. So I do this. Right. But you don't, if you don't know the baseline, then how can you, how can you, you know, deviate off of it? I I think a lot of, or the best way to conceptualize this is that uh, when we're talking statistics, there's always signal and noise. Right. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by that is that there is data that we can rely upon as being relatively uh, consistent and uh, indicative of something occurring. Right. Right. And then there's data that may mirror that, but it's largely just noise, mm-hmm. right? It's it's too small of a sample or it's unreliable or unstable for some reason, right? When people come in and they are speaking specifically to what happens to them, they don't understand that they're seeing it through their own biased eyes. Right. Yeah, most of the reflections are reflections of self. Right. And if you had asked somebody else in their game the exact same question about that person, they may give you a different answer. So what they don't understand is that they're not qualified to call this information signal yet. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not doubting anybody's experience when a woman comes through and says, like, I get picked on a lot because I'm a woman or I get a lot of bluffs through because I'm a woman. I'm sure that to some degree that's true. Yeah. And there is a signal in there. Sure. What I'm trying to basically focus in on, though, is that at this point, without the true signal, which is the math, the game theory of it all, without having a deep comprehension of that, this all just becomes noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And once we have a deep understanding of baseline strategy to, to the point that you made of how this game operates in a normal, uh, well-thought-out, logical arena, until we have that baseline, that noise is just going to get in our way and confuse yeah. us. It's like saying, I think somebody bluffs against me too much, and then you don't have the uh, theoretical baseline of how much should be bluffed or what hands should be shown, and then you see hands that don't exist 
from a theoretical perspective, maybe hands too wide in the range construction or a hand that should probably check because it's too much value to, to value bet or to, to bluff, sorry. And then when you see these, you're like, okay, I have my fundamental baseline. I know this hand does not bluff in theory, which makes it an overbluff. Right. Not just, I think they're bluffing me because they keep putting in bets and I keep folding on the turn. Right. Now you have a true signal to go off of. Right. And, and the easiest way to, uh, to, to challenge this whenever people do come with their own kind of bias is when they say that in my game, this always happens to me kind of thing. Then you just ref refute it by saying, okay, then always do the counter. Right. Mm -hmm. What's the counter? Then do it. If somebody is always bluffing you, always call. Right. Right. And then watch them torch money and then come back and say, like, I'm calling a bunch and I'm losing. Why? Mm -hmm. That's because they're not bluffing you nearly enough. Right. And well, you're under a misconception. It's kind of not a bad strategy when it comes to making somebody or kind of guiding the path to realizing that the always and nevers can't be true in both instances. Well, but what, what we're distilling always and never down to is too frequent. So mm -hmm. if somebody says like, this person always bluffs me, what they're saying is that they bluff me too much. And it's like, well, if they're bluffing you even a little bit too much, then you can literally always call. Yep. And if you just always call and aren't making money, then you're just wrong. Yeah. You're incorrect that they're bluffing you too often. It's a weird thing to kind of have that, uh, that confidence of a theory, theory being what you think is happening from an opponent's standpoint, but also be unwilling to test it with the proper counter. Yeah. Where some people will come to you and say, oh, they bluffed me too much. And then you'll say, okay, just call range then. And they say, oh, but that's too scary. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, how, how me no understand? <laughs> you know, it does not compute. There, there's a big lack of, uh, I, I would say this is one of the second biggest challenges that, uh, we as instructors have to overcome and probably one of the second most common things that I see amongst the people who attend as well as like other beginners who um, may come in contact with us for coaching is that there is an internal fear of losing pots. Yes. And attached to that is some level of uh, pain to losing money. Right. So this manifests in risk aversion where it's just like the game gets broken down. One of the first lessons we give is that you learn this game through the lens of value. So I asked somebody uh, today, one of our students has only been playing for two and a half years. And I go, the, you, you can, you're, you're young enough that you can remember day one of playing this game. How was it introduced to you? And he goes, by hand rankings. And I go, okay, so like basically royal flush down the top or down the high card. He goes, yeah, that's how I learned the game initially. I go, when did they introduce to you the hand rankings of bluffs. He goes, they haven't. I'm like, exactly. So you've only learned this game through the lens of what beats what, nice. which in turn means that whenever you're put into a calling decision, you're deferring to the hand ranking chart and you're saying, how strong does my hand have to right. be to put money into a pot what, here? What tier list does my hand equate to for my prize? Right. Where in reality, sometimes top pair is just better than some, other, some three of a kind. Maybe, right. but it's it's not even getting that granular. It's just understanding that with the price being laid, there's often going or there's almost always going to be times where you can't be restricted to top pair plus, right? So sure. you, 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 you just, just have to call a Y with a, right. a wider range of hands. You know, you can't just fold tens on an ace <laughs> right. board because somebody bet. One pair is not created equal. <laughs> Correct. But right? you have deuces yeah. versus ace X. Like they're both one pair. Right. But now you have to figure out in what spots what's better than what, depending on action. Correct. Yeah. So I think that that's like a huge hurdle for uh, people who are just entering into study to kind of get over and, and see how high the equity is 
of some of these hands that they consider to be really weak. Right, this hand's really bad, but in reality, it's actually pretty good. Right, like two overs and a gut shot. To see that that has like 50% equity. <laughs> it's a good hand. Right, like to see that like second pair versus uh, a range bet is like 65% equity in some spots. Yeah. You know, like to see that these hands have so much value will recondition their mind and take them out of the, the hierarchy of just the hand rankings. And then begin to understand that, like, there needs to be an inverse hand ranking, right? You need to be pulling bluffs from somewhere. Right. And it, it can't just be, like, I flopped a huge draw. It's a weird <laughs> thing when it comes to poker being the game with the bluffing aspect being part of it. Where if you look at, like, a blackjack hand ranking chart, you know, right. there's no bluffing in, right, right. in a game like blackjack. Right. But in a game like poker, you need to know what the value thresholds are for hands that win a showdown. But you also need to realize you can win without actually having these hands in your in like having them in your hand, I suppose. Yeah. Like just having the hand strength of those in your hand. It's in that in that sense, bluffing doesn't get taught. I didn't get taught bluffing until like a year and a half through. I thought it was good to not bluff. Right. Of course. Like everyone does. It's like why would you do that? <laughs> and in a lot of pools. <laughs> if you get caught, you lose. Yeah, exactly. Why would you do that? Like I felt like a sense of right. pride of yeah. like always having like top pairs and like sneak checking top pairs. Now I look back I'm like, no, I just I just played bad, but I didn't know I was playing bad. Right. Right. How can you yeah. know? Imagine being in a hundred hundred game where half the people still think that. Okay. <laughs> I literally get ridiculed for like bluffing and bluff catching yeah, on playing. the regular. Good game. Where did you learn how to bluff, Berkey? Uh, I think I at got, a young age. I think somebody gave me the opposite hand rankings. Yeah, I someone think, yeah, actually someone gave, you? gave you. Yeah. No, I, th I think oh. I think like the first deck I got instead of it being ranked like Royal Flush down the high card, it was high card. It was like Royal Flush. It, it was just a trash card where it was just like okay, here's the worst no pair you can have, and yeah. here's the best no pair you can have, <laughs> and these are the only hands that you're ever gonna make. Yeah. Okay. I, I think somewhere along yeah, the lines, God forbid you ever made a pair. Yeah, I think somewhere along the lines, <laughs> I had like a tremendous fear of just never making a real hand and i was just like well i need to find another way to make money in this game because it's clearly not going to be by just making the best hand and value betting it that's really hard yeah, yeah. Like, it is it's hard to make hands yeah I, I think i don't know to me the way poker was introduced to me was uh it was very much a prideful thing to get one over on your peers right like, like you felt good bluffing your friends oh my god oh, the yeah. best it was the best feeling in the world i lived for it and I loathed being <laughs> bluffed. Like, if I got shown a bluff in a, a reasonably sized pot, my whole face would turn red. My ears would be on fire. Oh, my God. I, I, like, know, I know about that. I, the, the neck, the back of oh, neck yeah. burn. Yeah, you just feel like somebody just, like, you know, took a shit in your shoe. Like, how <laughs> dare you? Yeah. Th this was my pot to win, and you just stole it from me. And then I realized I could steal it back. Yeah. And I could do it more often. And you realized you could check raise. Yeah, so it's like... I don't know. It's such an integral part of my character. And to be fair, I do think people need to lean into their personalities when creating strategy, right? Like there are going to be red liners. There are going to be blue liners and it's going to be predicated upon your comfort with risk. Sure. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. Some, you know, it's like some people are going to lean more one way or the other, but the baseline should still be learned regardless. Of course. Of course. Like have uh, the theory and then like find out where you are because the first year i got coached by a friend of mine like it was very very clear that his plan for me was to figure out the value thresholds and try to get value better than other people 
which is a skill. Like blue lining is certainly a skill. Yeah. Right. Knowing that someone's range is weak and they're only going to call versus a block or half pot or they're actually inelastic and going to call four X pot. You know, right. there's definitely huge skill involved with blue line where nowadays people are like, so like red line, like they see this red line. They're like, Oh my. Well, that's because if you have the red line, you don't need to be as meticulous with the blue line. You could just forex pot it all because they don't believe you anymore. You don't need to, sure. Like you don't need to be as good, but your <laughs> win rate will be higher if you know how to do both of them very well and people forsake one for the other. I, I guess what I'm getting at is that they work hand in hand very closely. You can't increase one without losing some somewhere else. Perhaps, but what I'm saying is that by having a high red line, you inherently will earn more value whenever you have hands that show down. Sure. And the inverse becomes true. If you have a high blue line, you inherently are going to have to size differently than if you were a red liner. Right. You're just not, you, you're just, you have a little ad, uh, added element of fold equity every time you put a bet out if you're a hardcore blue liner. Correct. Because your frequencies are just very different. Yes. The red liner's frequencies are going to gravitate much, much more in the polar direction of betting. Yep. The blue liners frequencies are going to be much closer to neutral. And most people by default through the fear-based lines of blue liners. Correct. Totally So agree because of when they're blue liners, you now as someone that knows that they're blue liners are allowed to make deviations from zero EV. Right. Because it's not zero EV anymore. Guapo, you, uh, you're not that far removed from being somebody who might stumble through the doors here. What, what do you feel between... That past self and you now, what do you think has changed the most? Like, what's, what's the one thing that you can look back on and say, like, that was one of the biggest errors that I was considerably or consistently making? This is just as recent as like six months ago, is that I just did not have a check back range. Interesting. So, in other words, yeah. if I checked back, I just didn't have it. Right. Um, six so, months ago. Yeah, I'm not kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, like, everything couple weeks i'm learning something new about the way that i play strategy no, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying like this seems like a really yeah big this is piece. a sore thumb type like of this thing. is yeah this is a pretty a big, big spot, a big to a, spot right, right. Like, yeah. this one cuts deep yeah this right. was a light bulb moment for sure checking mm -hmm. back flops this this was yeah. him answering the question that you just didn't listen to <laughs> no i just did like because when it comes to like the way that i see improvement in poker and some other spots like if you i thought it was just gonna be a more recent answer that's well that's not the question i asked i'm asking like <laughs> We're asking like what the most basic errors are that mm. play. To me, that seems yeah. like a pretty big sure. one. Yeah, right. yeah sure. it is. Mm -hmm. I understand. I got it. What What do you think? Uh, what do you think you were number one giving up uh, as far as like general strategy goes? Whenever you didn't have a protected checkback, and then how do you think that's helped adjust your strategy since? Say that one more time. So, what do you think you were giving up in overall strategy by not checking back? I was basically letting my opponents know that I didn't have anything, that I wasn't able to check back, you know, the top of my range or at least top pair. Pretty exploitable, or, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so the irony is that it's it's less exploitable than you think when you're actually going through the checkback line. Like, yeah, of course, you're capped and you don't really have much, but uh, that's a pretty tight range that checks back because you're not going to have a lot of give-ups when you already have the aggression. And what's odd is that I was able to notice that from my opponents and not apply it myself in right. other words when i was playing in these games if anyone ever checked back i was just auto just firing it didn't yeah, matter, you were it didn't matter what i had it didn't knew. matter what my suits had, were it's just like oh they checked back like i'm just gonna win this pot. yeah probably and it would win probably because like oh, well that's, that's what i do when i do that i don't have anything and then they bet and i just fold so you were thinking 
I, I think that's maybe what your line of thinking was like, right? Yeah. So the irony of what I'm trying to say is that I think the way that you were most exploitable is through your actual CBET range. And I don't know if you recognize that or not, right. but, but basically yeah. if uh, your CBET range is most hands minus like the, the stone give ups, uh, what will actually end up trending is, at least in my opinion, what I think will end up happening is you'll lack the ability to find future bluffs future street bluffs on certain runouts because you'll lean so heavily, you'll gravitate towards uh, so heavily to hands that have equity. And now what that will result in is you won't have enough river bluffs in a lot of spots, which will then force you to value bet tighter. So if I had to guess without having seen any of your past hands, I would imagine you didn't value bet river thin enough. No. And I would imagine that you weren't bluffing river enough. That's for sure. And that's all predicated off of how you constructed flop. Like, if you had just C-bet range on flop, instead of having a weak check back, you would still be able to find thinner value bets and, and better bluffs on the river because you had more hands to select from. Make sense? Yeah, and it also made... Um, it really resonated with me when you were talking about looking at poker and learning poker from, from a value uh, standpoint. Um, mm. Like, obviously, I think everyone could have benefited more from learning to bluff first right and then learning value like it's just such an integral part of the game yeah I, I think that's true uh being able to look back on it now what do you think uh what do you think the 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 greatest adjustment outside of you know having a protected flop c-bet range like globally uh, across your strategy what do you think like the biggest adjustment has been since um well the check back range and then also um bet sizing that's always been a big leak for me. Right. Um, recognizing boards, understanding how ranges interact with one another, um, what the what the formation is, like how me opening from the low jack versus someone who's calling out of the small blind versus someone who's calling out of the small blind when I when I open the uh, when I call when I open from the button. Yeah. Um, just just knowing how those ranges interact and how that uh, affects my C betting strategy was, was pretty big as well. I think that that's kind of what Landon's speaking to where that's the eternal process. That's the one that never changes. Like every day we get a little bit sharper at our sizing. We get a little bit sharper in our frequencies, in our hand selection, in our comprehension of range versus range. That's the never ending process, right? Like there's never a day where you just wake up and you go cut off first big blind mastered it. Yeah. You're going to have that. It's the weird in between of understanding that there is the theater, theoretical baseline and then trying to improve win rate by trying to become the best practical player you can be. Yeah. And a good example of that in most spots is population out of position doesn't check raise enough. Right. It's like once you have the sample to realize that this is a true statement and I've played enough hands, I've seen the check raise frequency of the global pool. It's not nowhere, it's nowhere close to where the theoretically is acceptable. So now it's like, okay, how do I adjust my strategy knowing extra information that I have, not from a concrete standpoint of each individual player, but from a global heuristic standpoint. And now you realize, oh, if they don't do this, this response is actually the correct one. And before, like, there's a lot of the ego involved in saying, okay, I know that the sim is supposed to check raise 15% and the range looks like this, but then you, like, say, okay, you're just coping because their check raise range is actually 5% and their call is much more protected than theoretically set, than what is theoretically approved. Yeah. And yeah. that's, like, that's a big thing that happened, I guess, in my eyes, like, last year after having, like, enough screaming matches with you about it where you're like, <laughs> hey, maybe people don't play like this. I'm like, oh, 
I guess you're right. That, sure. That's that's where I think like a lot of good players fall into the trap is that they get caught in the mechanism of wanting to try to perfect a formation. Yeah. Wanting to try to wake up one day and say, I've perfected cutoff first big blind rather than recognizing when they get like the, the, the uh, 80, 20 rule applies. Once you get like 80% comprehension of cutoff first big blind, you're so much better served now moving on to the deviations that will apply player to player. And, and just practically executing in a way that allows you to exploit their mistakes because they do not understand big blind versus cutoff defense at the 80% level. Yeah, poker's not as copy-paste as you would think it is, especially in a practical realm, Man, which is good. Yeah, it's, it's funny the way it just cycles, right? Like when we had a ton of the RTA scares and uh, you know a lot of the online cheat scandals and everything else in like 2019 and you know the in- introduction of GTO Wizard and... You know, all of this technology seemed to be moving forward to the degree where it was like, okay, for me to be good at this game, it clearly means that I'm going to have to figure out how to copy and paste a, a solver strategy onto my environment. It's so wild to see now, like three or four years later, it come full circle where the games are kind of evolving a bit. Stacks are getting deeper. They're adding seven deuce get whatever. The, there, there are adjustments being made that make it so fundamentally not true. Freestyle poker is alive and well, more so now than maybe it's ever been since Black Friday. Yeah, the people that are uh, cheating are cheating in like a very specific way, and it's not they're not winning the most. Right, and they're also doing it in very specific environments. Right. They're, you know, it's, it's not just restricted to RTA. Like, collusion goes a long way. It's going to have a much higher win rate. Like, knowledge of the deck will always supersede any sort of strategy that we can execute through, right. through solvers. It's like, would you rather play RTA or would you rather know half the cards in the deck that are going? Right. It's, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know that I have any other like, major uh, ones that stick out to me. I think everything else starts to become a little bit individualized. But, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of... Well, most of it, at least when it comes to mistakes made, and it's not just about low stakes. I think it's just about poker in general. Comes from a lack of having the mentality to accept that you're allowed to lose that's like, hard there's a lot yeah it's tough but once you realize that when you call certain bet sizes or even like you call big bet sizes and you realize that you have a hand that makes a lot of logical sense to call for good reasons and you see those reasons exist and giving yourself the permission to lose yeah and lose just being okay i'm gonna call so i give the guy credit for bluffing if, if he has if he's possible bluffing and if he bluffed me uh, I win, and if he doesn't, I lose, and that's okay if my framework is correct. Right. There's a difference from having the ego framework of I want to call because I want to see his hand because I don't believe him versus from a baseline perspective, my hand has these properties which do very well as a call, and I'm going to trust these properties to make my decision. There's a difference between the ego-based uh, decision-making and the infinite knowledge-based uh, decision making yeah. and the closer you get to knowledge based decision making the more you allow yourself to lose which in turn allows you to win more right because now you're giving yourself the permission to lose you meant from like even a soft skill set uh, standpoint your mental game doesn't break down once you bluff catch and lose yeah it really shouldn't be one or two pots that define a session right one or two pots uh should just swing you one way or the other but it should be the margins that really define a session right like the, the spots was like oh like maybe i could find a check raise here yeah like on a flop yeah or maybe i could find a turn lead like these are the spots that are going to give you more win rate as well as allow you to be more creative as well that are much more important than the did i call with ace 10 on ace uh jack eight seven four and he showed me ace jack yeah it's like eh, you know how bad can it be 
in that sort of instance where in the other spots it's like oh let me try to find ways to get better not let me try to find ways to lose less yeah yeah i think that's really thing and honestly like kind of just comes down to the mindset of if you don't know gambling is a little bit okay yeah you're allowed to experiment like i've just had more spots where especially when playing mtts and you realize that leads are definitely involved in strategy mm-hmm. i went through fucking three years of not playing turn leads or like flop leads because i was like oh you just check dark right like you just check dark turn you yeah. just check dark river where you look at a machine especially now when you have ai tools you see that like the machine doesn't just say pure green on certain turns. Yeah. Well, well, I noticed you checking dark a couple of times today. Um, so not that it was checking dark is that every time I got called, I was out of position. So for me, I just have a very simplified strategy that if, if I'm out of position in single race pots, right? Like it's not a huge mistake. Yeah, to but, check then, but it, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying it is, but why would you ever check dark? Cause now you're telling your opponent that I don't have a lead range here. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm also under the assumption that they just know that, I'm supposed to be checking here like 99% of the That's time. not true though. That's not true. They don't know. You're, 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 maybe they make that assumption, but maybe they're not. But if when you check dark, then now, now they just know. But yeah. that assumption isn't even true. Yeah. What is yeah. it? Like a good but example. you're checking right. 99%. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like board is yeah 10, they six, don't know that. Board's 10, 6, 4. Right. turns a 6. You don't check dark. Oh, he's just yeah. talking about even flops. I just, I just think, yeah. I just think, I like, I just don't think you should ever check dark. To, even, even if you do plan to check 100, you should never check dark because you're just conveying information to your well, Hold on. Let's talk about that real quick. So am I incorrect in saying that in single raise pots, when I'm out of position, it's, it's not a huge mistake to just be checking 100% of it's the It's not a huge mistake, but it's not a pure check in theory. It's not winning the most money. Mm-hmm. So by, yeah. by, tele- leads. by telegraphing yeah. that you're checking 100% by checking dark, you've now told your opposition that you never have bets. Right. Okay. Which right. means they know that you're playing a simplified strategy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Whereas I, if you right. check in the light, they think that you had to have chosen your checks. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Did, yeah. Did I noticed that one? and I wanted to bring that up because yeah. I guess I didn't have to bring it up on the podcast. But. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like today but like you I did just one, thought um, of it. Yeah. It was under the gun versus button and you check dark under the gun where you will have a lot of quite, bets. A lot of bets. Especially King High Aesai. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's like kind of the problem with simplifying out of position is like playing pure check is that you probably miss out on three streets in a lot of scenarios. So a great example is like the nine, five, three rainbow board. Uh, you get to play big, better check. Yeah. And whenever you have over pairs that just pure check, you don't face the C bet a lot from in position. It's not like in position C bets 80% here. Mm. It's closer to like half. Okay. And now, rather than you getting potential three streets by just setting up three E if you have, like, kings, uh, now you just have to play a bunch of turns. Now, is it naive to think that I'm mitigating that because I'm check-raising a lot more than I think the pool is? Um, well, I think you're recouping some EV there, but you're also just check-raising versus a range that isn't well-curated and it stabs. So some people will overstab, some people will understab. Against understabbers, you're going to get torched. Yeah, it just depends on the pool that you're playing in and the amount of win rate that is mm-hmm. available. Because once you play against better competition, you're trying to put people in spots that are tougher that you know better than them. And if you're playing like check notes, most people kind of are aware of the check notes out of position versus in position. Yeah, it is the most common strategy, yeah. Yeah, like I didn't even know for a very long time, like let's say board's like 775, like low jack button, like you have B75 as your flop size. Yeah. Like you choose big bet because why would you use quarter? Right. And for a long time when I was playing micro stakes, I'd just go like quarter pot and you'd get floated mm-hmm. and then you'd check the turn and then they would bluff and then you would mm-hmm. fold and you're like, yeah. why did I even bet this? But you didn't even know that wasn't even the right option. 
Yeah, mm -hmm. there isn't a lot of small betting out of position, which makes sense. You're trying to lower SPR. You're trying to play yeah. all well, in You don't pots. bet a lot, right? So Correct. when you don't bet a lot, you have you usually that's usually that's, that's a general rule. A thumb. general rule. Yeah. It's not. It's not right. Of course, but not always applicable. It's but, almost like when you choose in the other instance, like it's so you're so scared of them having a response, you have to go small. Right. Like the button big blind seven six four when they check. Yeah, yeah. It's like I can't go big because they have good hands, but yeah, if I have yeah. set, I still want to go small. Right. Give or him, like give him you know, bait, you know, give him yeah, cheese. Or if you're if you're out of position and the turn flush card comes through, yep. like you know, that's kind of a neutral card. You're not really going to just start bombing. Yeah. Uh, Justin, today was the first time I think I've ever seen you actually play. That you, is true, right? Played wow. good. You played well. <laughs> you played well. Uh, I don't know. Really, I'm not surprised. I mean, I don't not know. Surprised. <laughs> I, I'm not not surprised. I'm also not, not surprised. Not I guess. Surprised. Uh, what what got you to this point, like? You've been playing for how long? I'm an OG like you. I started in 2003. Are you wow. serious? Yes. What? How, yeah. How old are you? I am 32. That's not old enough to have started in 2003. <laughs> yeah. I was 13. Jesus Christ. 13. 13 with money. I was a young Landon before Landon. Okay. Oh. I was 13 with money. I was, ho I was hoping, I was I hoping that this might come out because this was going to be my mm -hmm. next question. Yeah. How much gambling have you done? I, I actually went, well, I, I started playing pool at that time and then moneymaker came out oh you're like, a hustler yeah so poker is better yeah mm. well of course that's how i came up and that's what i was gonna get to is like how i learned how to bluff was watching espn in like 2005 seeing like phil ivy yeah like, oh this is cool this guy <laughs> yeah this guy's a gangster you're like yo this guy this guy keeps putting money in I with that, that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's how i learned so yeah. i was wondering how Berkey learned and isildur came out he was my hero in 2009 and yeah, yeah, I I don't know that I ever like. <laughs> it's it's tough because I don't know that I ever like fell into uh, necessarily idolizing someone or trying to mimic my playstyle mm -hmm. after somebody. I read Super Systems, mm -hmm. and, and at the time it was for sure the most aggressive strategy that you oh, could yeah. find, and I just gravitated towards the aggressive aspect of like you flop a draw and you just find a way to get it in. Right, and I think that's why I asked if you ever did any gambling because. I'm like vehemently against gambling yeah. in general. Actually, me too. I don't gamble. I, I don't sports yeah. bet. I don't anything I don't have control over. I've never really had the desire mm -hmm. to delve into. But finding areas to gamble within the game of poker where I've convinced myself I have an element of control, I gravitated towards immediately. Like that's why I was the guy who went broke a lot because I didn't care about Kelly criteria. I didn't care about bankroll management or anything along those lines. I cared. Like, I got the gambler's mindset, the gambler's high of chasing the big scores mm -hmm. and, and wanting those wins. And it, to some regard, was predicated upon through reading Super System, where it's just like, hey, you flop a flush draw. Fuck these guys. Yeah. Play the small cards when they right. have the big ones. Fuck yeah. these guys. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, yeah, let's do that. Play the back doors because when you turn the draw, then you can bluff. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, this sounds great. Like, yeah. this, yeah. Is, this is then, uh, a handbook. For how to just put a bunch of money in without much of a hand and win pots. Yeah. And I like winning pots next, a lot. The next step after like bluff with the back doors because you can turn them if uh, to bluff if you turn a card is bluff with no suit. So if the back door comes in, you don't have anything and it's even more <laughs> likely bluff than for folding. three streets. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it's true. The solver agrees because once you realize you don't want to have the cards that they check call, check call, check right. fold, you, these cards are now good for you. And that's why they're low frequency turn, high frequency river. So outside of poker, you you didn't really do much degening. Um, when I was early, maybe at twenty one, I used I played casino games, but 
after that, no. And I never really got a high off of poker, like yeah. DJing. But where, uh, or I guess we'll, we'll we'll go two steps. First, when did you move to Vegas? I moved here in 2019. Oh wow, you're recent. Recent, yeah. So what were you doing prior to that? I was playing underground games in Hawaii. Oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that Gee Liberté game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a wild game. Uh, what was what was like your peak success? There is no peak. It's all downhill. Bro oh. <laughs> went from 13 with money to 32 yeah. and poor. He's yeah. down horrendous. Yeah, yeah. He's like, 13 was my peak. Yeah. Oh, oh, like, Stake-wise, how, how big was the biggest you played? Uh, 2550. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty big. Uh, 13. I mean, <laughs> yeah, 13. <laughs> um, and then, like, you mostly played online prior to Black Friday? Prior to Black Friday, I was a full tilt player. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cash or tournaments? Heads up cash. Wow, mm. you really were I, in the ring. I told you, so there was my hero. <laughs> <laughs> That's no joke, man. Yeah. Are you going to keep up with it? Like, are you happy to still be grinding? Yeah, I love it. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to stop. Um, it's all I know how to do besides eat your pickleball. So. <laughs> He's the flying chalk. Listen, I never claimed to be... Oh, man, that's bro. great. I never claimed to be a singles player, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm an excellent doubles compliment. You know, no, I, you, a compliment. You yeah. try to take over the court with it. No, I try to go. No, no, no. I mean, that on, doesn't jive with personality at all. I don't. I don't. We've I can't see that. We've literally shown videos where you're like taking over the whole court. The middle, man. Just leave me the middle and handle the rest. You know. Yeah. You guys, you guys get so goddamn greedy out there. Everybody wants to. Everyone wants to bang. You know. I think I'm gonna get into pickleball. I keep saying you this. have to. You yeah. Have to. Andy said he wants to get back into it. Andy, I meant to respond to him because he messaged me and he, he heard the podcast about me saying, he said, he's like, are you serious? Because if you are, then he's like, I'll come with. I can't get believe Andy's not a regular with us. I get yeah. it. He got busy. He had two kids. That, I mean, that's a little bit tough. He's got a life. Tough. You know, he's got like a, an actual real life. I understand. But like, right, not this fantasy world that we live in. <laughs> yeah. But like he, honestly, Andy to pickleball is, at least to me anyway, is you to poker. Like in the beginning, no one was more passionate about poker than you. <laughs> right. And no one was more passionate about pickleball than Andy. Yeah. Yet in both instances, I'm still fucking here, baby. <laughs> I'm the man in the arena and you guys are on the sidelines watching. I don't understand how that happened other than I have no other responsibility. Don't die on the sidelines. That's, that has a lot to do. That's right. Don't yeah. die on the sidelines. Yeah. Uh, Keep getting up. So I asked about gambling <laughs> for a specific reason. Do you play any fantasy sports? I do not. Okay. My friends do. Okay. Yeah. Well, we uh this will be the first time i've ever done it i i kind of drafted one last year but it was with the the aid of a sharp mm -hmm. uh we we have a little best ball contest that's going to be coming up this oh, week. oh i'm in I'm nice okay yeah all right I'll, i've I'll never done best ball so i'm excited for it me either i'm pretty excited for the draft process so there's a lot of different strategies out there uh dan zach's obviously super sharp might have to hit him up and see if he wants to come on and kind of like grade our our drafts and mm. stuff um, but we're going to draft over the weekend and I see, I'm, I'm seeing these wild things. So here's the thing about best ball. You can put in a massive amount of volume as far as like entering the contest. It's similar to daily fantasy in that regard. Right. right? So you might be able to get like, let's say a hundred lineups out and you obviously want some parity across your lineups to right. give yourself a better chance to win. So there are a lot of like wild strategies out there where people will take like a low percentage of their lineups and make a six tight end stack. So you know, for the for the I I haven't actually looked at it, but I assume for the wide receiver wide receiver slot, you can draft wide receiver or tight end. Must be if you're playing six tight ends, right? <laughs> and there are like some stacks that are getting created. You know, the tight ends becoming a bigger position now in today's game. We're seeing a lot of 
the the George Kittles I emerge. Name, I can't name six tight ends that I'd run on my team. Well, that's because <laughs> that's because they all seem to have their year and then fall off. Like the Kel- Travis well, Kelsey's of the got, world. You got Travis the only, Kelsey. He's the only right. one who's like he's the Mark only. Mark Andrews is is pretty good. He's, yeah, but like Kelsey's yeah. been good for almost a decade. Kelsey's right? the man. Yeah, when he, it comes to tight end, he's the guy. It went Gronk than him. Right. Right. But in yeah. between all of that, there were a lot of other like flashes mm-hmm. in the pan. I Antonio Gates. He was the Tony guy. Gonzalez. Well, the the. Legends. Are, you're, you're you're talking a little older, yeah. You know, closer to Hall of Fame, but like you know, you had the, um, I can't even remember his name. Jimmy now from, Graham. Well, Jimmy, yeah. Gra- you're still like dating yourself a bit. I'm 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 thinking more recent, where you know George Kittle for a number of years was George the number Kittle, one he's, tight he's end. Still good. He's, he's still just, good, yeah. but he fell off a bit. Like Hawkinson. Uh, Hawkinson's Kittle decent. was really good last year. Yeah. Well, was he? He uh, shared the ball what, a lot. Well, he scored a lot of touchdowns, probably more than he should have, but. When Purdy came in, he he um, yeah yeah the first half of the lot. season I don't think he right. had a good Cameron Brait good tight end meh yeah you're 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 like tier two yeah. tier three but you're like uh, people out of here what's his face from the Raiders who just got traded uh, Darren Waller. Waller yeah he was he, a stud and then you know he fell off last year and he now didn't fall little, off he got hurt and like well, he just like well, he, he never fell, fell off, off of his leg he because he, off, he's yeah. probably gonna be really really good this year he's he actually a really good pick he might yeah he might be he might be maybe he's got Danny Dimes thrown to him now hey maybe he's gonna be great we don't know but the whole point is like you could definitely find six between Kelsey Kittle Fryermuth uh you know maybe take a flyer on Washington who knows. Uh, you know, you you got Waller out there. Bolsich. Uh, somebody else just signed a huge contract. Um, at tight end, Hawkinson. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. It was Hawkinson. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the, there seem to be more marquee tight mm-hmm. ends now than maybe ever since the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to go all the way back to the Shannon Sharp yeah. and uh, the Todd Heap days, it's always fucking Baltimore, man. They just they they breed tight ends the mm-hmm. way we breed linebackers. Yeah. You know, um, and now, yeah, now they have Andrews, right? Uh, that that's pretty much a stud. I think but. it's like, um, it's kind of like, yeah, Kelsey definitely is S tier, and then, um, and then, and then Mark Andrews is like, in a, he's like in a class of his own. He's <laughs> like, there's no like, there's a, like Kelsey's definitely better than him, but there's really nobody in his class, and then everybody's like a little bit worse than him. Well, he kind of like stands alone, and then then you have all that group that you you mentioned, like yeah. the Wallers, the Hawkinsons, the I mean, the hopefully th- Fryer Muse. <laughs> the, the the thing with Andrews but, is yeah. it's so dependent upon the offense that year, right? So right. it's it's number one, they haven't had much of a receiving core for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Number two, it was hit or miss whether or not Lamar was playing, right? So like with a healthy Lamar, yeah. with an Odell in there to take some ball share, and then, and then I think coaching staff has a lot to do, right? You want you want you want the offensive coordinator to be a, someone who likes throwing the ball to the. You yep. want the quarterback to like throw, to throw the ball to the tight end, and also the the you know design plays the scheme for, around it for, yeah. for this player, and then you know and then have the scrambling quarterbacks the and big tight ends it. go hand in hand. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Mahomes and Kelsey's, mm-hmm. that's no real shock mm-hmm. there. Seeing Lamar and Andrews, that's not really that much of a surprise. Anyway, whole point is <laughs> the six tight end stack might not be so bad. I don't know. I remember the first time I saw somebody tweet about it, they were they were memeing on it about like what a big joke it was. And now I'm seeing people with like three percent ownership where they have six tight ends. The strategy it's the strategy in fantasy football has it's amazing how like how how it's evolved and how it's changed. Yeah. It's like it's like it, before it was like 
Why would you ever draft a quarterback early? It's so dumb. Like, you can just stream them. And it's just like, now it's just like, no, you need one of the top four quarterbacks or you can't win the league. And then and then it's like, oh, you, well, you, you should always just draft your running backs first because there's only a few really good ones. And then you can get a whole bunch of wide receivers. It's like, now there's like zero running back strategies, right? Like, you just don't draft one until like the 10th round. And it's like, it's just, it's so wild how... How everything's changed, and it, I mean, it might have to do with the, the overall strategy and what's optimal, but it might also have to well, do fantasy's with fantasy's also evolved. You know, right. like it went from right. no it, no points per right. PBR to half yeah. point to full yeah. point, and it might it might daily also have, fantasy right. influences a lot. It might have to do with you know what's available out there, what what offenses are doing now, and, yep. you know, because the the game itself is evolving, so fantasy should evolve with it. Yeah, agreed. So best ball is the latest evolution for anybody who's unfamiliar what best ball is. Uh, you just draft the team and then you set it and forget it. So you draft, I think, 12 players. And just all your players play. All your year. players play. It takes the, the the score of the best 10 each week. Right. And there's no dropping and picking players up right. either. There's no setting lineups. There's no dropping players. That's so just, nice. Those it's players you that, drafted are the ones you got. If they all get yeah. hurt, you're done. That's yeah. so nice. <laughs> like, I, If I was going to play yeah. fantasy sports, I want to have zero maintenance. I agree. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I want yeah. zero uh, maintenance. So, yeah, like, we get the opportunity. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, a, a bit of a partnership with uh, Underdog. So, we have the opportunity to do a bunch of best ball drafts. I think maybe this weekend we should fire a few off. Maybe it. have a Dan Zach on, somebody who's a little bit sharp in this mm -hmm. area. Tell us a little bit about their strategies, what they think of how we're approaching it. Obviously, we don't know shit about shit. No, so we're we just out, out here, here firing, firing, baby. Yeah, we we just firing. Yeah, we out here uh, sea betting range. That's right. I think we got to get a, a couple entries in that circa millions too. Yes, <laughs> just well, uh, we have to. How do we not? Uh, yeah, I, I you know I mean we, the, we not this? by not doing it. Well, we're all <laughs> lazy is the problem. Well, what's the buy-in? I think it's a thousand. Do you know what, Justin? What, what's it lazy? Is I can eleven hundred. Eleven hundred. Yeah. Well, we have to go register it. You can't do it online? I don't know. That's oh, the thing. Oh, you have thing. to go in person. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the laziness. Too right. much energy. I will oh. go. Yeah, we're going to make Lamanna be our no. runner. Right. As long as I just get extra percentage points. No, no. You get, you get no extra ownership. It's the, <laughs> this, is, this is an even deal. But As long uh, as the company's paying for the buy-ins. All right. We're not going to do that either. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, I'm we'll, trying. We'll compensate you. I'm trying, Guapo, to get us in there. Get I, us in there. I appreciate <laughs> it. We'll compensate you a little bit of gas money or something. But yeah, we, we need to bad. do a little research. This is what we're going to be doing over the weekend. So be sure to stay tuned next week uh, as we come back with a little bit of fancy football. Uh, I want to close the show on a little bit of a sad note. Uh, I lost somebody very near and dear to me uh, yesterday, I believe, in the afternoon. Um, you guys may have heard me tell some stories about him in the past. Mike Bertolini, a good friend of mine, went by Berto or Big Mike if you're from New York, uh, sadly passed away in his sleep yesterday. Big loss, uh, very young, well, relatively young, you know, depending on how you look at things. Uh, very sudden and uh, was not expected at all. Uh, ter terrible, terrible news. I just spoken to him like a week ago. He was telling me how uh, he was ordering a bunch of exercise equipment. He was a little bit overweight and wanted to get himself in better health. I think he was aware that, you know, everything wasn't exactly on the up and up. And, uh, unfortunately he passed away in his sleep. So, uh, I, I just wanted to give my condolences to his family, to his friends, to everybody who cared and loved him. Huge personality, great guy. Uh, we have a little bit of a montage to play out just to give you a little sense of who Berto was, not just to me, but to, to everybody that was fortunate enough to be in his presence. So I have to pack my bags, kind of let Berto know that I fucked up again. And, uh, and I don't have to let him know, but you know, he's my friend, I trust him. 
at that point it's like, yeah, I think I'm just going to like try to get my personal training certification and just wait it out in that world for a while until another opportunity presents itself. And it's like having that conversation with him, it was just like a real low, low. And, uh, I think he saw that. I said to him one day, I said, Matt, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> it's like, I don't know, man. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, I, I can't win. I said, I've been around the best at what they do my whole life. I know what greatness is. He's currently Joe Montana's manager. He's like, I talked to Parcells. I I've seen greatness. I know what it looks like. I said, when I look at you and I listen to you, I see what I see in them, in you. And I felt that then and I feel it today. He's like, you have what it takes to be in that rare air. And I was like, look, man, it's not a matter of desire. It's like, you know, and, and I, I believe you believe what you see, but, you know, the record speaks for itself. Like, I'm broke. I said to Matt, I'll give you this $10,000, spread out over two, two things, this week 5000 and next week 5000 I'm sending you the money, you give me 100 hours of coaching in return. It's like, okay, like, you know, I'm in no position to say no. Uh, so I woke up the next day and he had sent half of it, 5K hit my bank account, and there's a tournament series at the win. Most people in life, you know, will think, well, you need that, you know, if you only have $20,000, you know, you can't lend someone 10. No, but yeah, you can. You know, if they need it, you can. Sure enough, the third event I play is a $500 event, and Brent and I both final table it, and we end up finishing third and fourth. Uh, so now all of a sudden I have $30,000. It's just like, okay, this guy knows something I don't. He took the first five, and he scored a tournament. He never looked back. He never asked for the other five. <laughs> 